Be seated. I want to welcome each of you this morning. Uh, my name is Randy. It's good to have you with us today. A lot of you folks I know are back from fall uh, break, which is great. I'm glad you had a safe uh, trip. Some of you came home a little sooner than you thought, uh, but we're glad that you got back safely. So it's good to see you. Uh, we are in the middle of a series that we've entitled The End. And you know, I wanted to preach through this series some topics that we don't always uh, mention or deal with a great deal. And a lot of times we kind of have this idea, you know, life is just going to continue on as is indefinitely. In fact, the Bible says that there will be scoffers who will say, uh, where is this coming of Jesus? It's never happened yet. You know, where's the end of the world? Because it's never happened. And when that, uh, when we think of that, let's be reminded if it hasn't happened yet, it's getting closer every day. Every day is getting closer. So every day that passes is just a little bit nearer to the return of our Lord. So we don't know what that day is going to be, but we know it's going to happen. The end is going to come. And that's why I want to share with you in this series, and we've been talking in the series about several things. We talked about hell. Uh, we talked about heaven. Last week, uh, one of our uh, young men who grew up in the church, Eric Roseberry, came back and preached about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And today, we're going to take another piece of that. We're going to, today, we're going to talk about why our works matter, why it matters, how we live our lives, even as Christians. Now, before I go any further, I want to tell you that next Sunday... We've kind of set this apart as a decision Sunday. You know, we, we believe that people ought to respond to Jesus whenever they're moved by his, by his Spirit. And so we have people who make decisions all the time. We have people who are baptized on a regular basis throughout the year. But every now and then, at kind of an important point in the, the year in our preaching series, we, we take a moment and we just say, okay, this is Decision Sunday. And, and if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, we want to encourage you to work toward that this week. Today is a great day to decide. Uh, but in this coming week, if you want to talk about that to someone, uh, just check on your connection card. I want to speak to a minister. Uh, give us the contact information to get in touch with you. We will be in touch, and we'll have those conversations. But next Sunday morning, we want to encourage you, if you have not given your life to Christ or if you have not been baptized, we want to have a service that really focuses on that, kind of draw this uh, series to an, a conclusion. The end will come to the end, and, uh, and we'll be uh, beginning a new study after that. Uh, but I really want to encourage you to think and pray about that, uh, especially this week as we kind of move into it. So today, we're, however, we're going to talk about the connection between our salvation and our works. We're going to ask the question, do our works really matter? Does it matter how we live? And the answer is definitely yes. You know, we've heard a lot that, that words matter, right? But we also know that actions matter a lot too. In fact, sometimes I think actions matter a lot more than words because... We all can talk a good talk, but do we walk the walk? Do we do what we say we believe and what we know that God wants us to do? So actions really matter. It matters how you live. And one day, the Bible tells us that we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for our lives. Now, how do I know that? Well, the Bible says that. Romans chapter 14, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God, that we will stand before the God of the creation of our world and give an account of our lives. It goes on to say in Hebrews 9, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So the time that we give an account to God will be a day of judgment. You know, I've heard all of my life that there are two things that are for sure in life, taxes and death. I want to add a third one, taxes, death, and judgment. 
Every one of those things are definitely going to be experienced by every one of us. Now, you might ask the question, are we going to be judged, though, by the grace of God or based upon our works? And the answer to that is yes, we are. We're going to be dealing with both of those today and see how they kind of come together. A lot of people, I think, are confused about the connection between the grace of God and works in our life. And there really shouldn't be a lot of confusion there. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Here's what the Bible says. It says that we are saved not by works, but by the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, so that, or not by works, so that no one can boast. So the reality is, is that you will never, ever be good enough to be saved. You will never, ever earn your salvation. This whole idea of saying, hey, I'm a good person and better than most people I know is not going to cut it. You might as well give up on trying just to be good to save yourself. But our works, on the other hand, are extremely important. How we live our lives really matter. They matter to God and they need to matter to us as well. Here's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So we know sometimes we think we get away with things that other people don't know, but the reality is that God knows. And one day God will bring every hidden thing, whether it's a good thing that we've done in, in secrecy or whether it's an evil thing, a sin that we've done and we think nobody knows about, one day God's going to expose all of those things. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen. Some people kind of have the idea it's going to roll on a, like a screen and we're going to see our life in review. I don't, I don't know if that's how it's going to be or not, but I know for sure that God knows and that God's going to expose those hidden sins in our life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Now, I want you to let, you, let that soak in that God knows that God's going to review those things and that one day God will reward us according to what we have done. And the only way we're going to escape that re reward or punishment, the only way we're going to come on the right side is if Jesus steps in and says, hey, that, that one's mine. He wasn't perfect, but he's mine. And so I want you to kind of blot those things out. But we're all going to have to deal with that. So the Bible says that we are saved by grace, but we are judged by works. Let me put that another way that that makes sense to me. And that is that belief determines where we will spend eternity and behavior determines how we spend eternity. Go over that again, let you process that. Belief determines where we spend eternity and behavior determines how we spend eternity. Now remember through this whole message that where you go when you die will depend directly upon what you believe in Jesus Christ or what you believe about him and have you committed your life to Christ. And we're going to talk about how to kind of flesh that out here in a few moments here. But kind of review, remember that God has prepared a place for those who are in Christ. In that place we called heaven. Three weeks ago, we talked about what an awesome place heaven will be. And just in our limited mind, we began to talk about what it might be like to enjoy heaven. And if you haven't heard that, you can get back, uh, get online and, and, and check out that message. Two weeks ago, we talked about a place that God has also prepared, not for us, but for Satan and his angels, and the Bible calls that place hell. And we said that even though that was never God's intention, those who reject his offer of salvation through Jesus Christ are going to join Satan and his angels in hell. That will be their choice. That's the default place for those who do not accept Jesus Christ. 
And judgment will assign us our future or our fate, either in heaven or in hell. But let me go on to say, and we, I tried to talk about this uh, uh, several times, that actually we determine our own fate. We don't create our own fate, but we determine that directly because of our decision, our choice to either accept Christ or to reject Jesus Christ. It's kind of laid on us all, all along the, the way because God has said, this is what I want for you. This is what I'm going to give to you. But we decide if we're going to accept that. And if we do not accept Christ, then we're on our own, right? You know, I kind of thought about this in the idea, we're talking about judgment. I, I kind of thought about this in the concept of a judge. If you break the law and you have to be punished for it, it's pretty predictable what's going to happen. You know, most of us don't read the laws very often, but, but if you break the law, there are some natural punishments that are created in, and uh, there are some repercussions that come. And so the, the, ju- the punishment is already stated. It's already out there. The judge will impose the sentence. He or she may show mercy, which is what we all long for, right? But if the judge is just, if they show justice, then they rightly should give us what the punishment requires or what it demands, what the result should be of, of, our, of our wrongdoing. So when it comes to our sin, God is going to be just. God is going to say somebody has to, punish, to be punished for this. Somebody has to suffer. But God loved us so much that he put Jesus there to suffer and die for us. So if we are in Christ, we are exempt from that. But if we die without accepting his salvation, then we're on our own. And we suffer the punishment that we rightfully should have because the Bible says that sin brings about death and separation from God. So today we're going to talk about the whole idea of judgment and how it works with uh, the concept of works or deeds on this earth. And we're going to talk about two different types of judgment. First of all, the judgment seat of Christ, which the Bible's clear about, talks about. And the second one is the great white throne judgment. What are the differences between those two? The judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Well, first of all, at the judgment seat of Christ, every person there seems to be a believer. And we'll break that down here in a few moments. At the great white throne judgment, every person there seems to be an unbeliever. Now, you might ask the question, so why is there a judgment if our life here on the earth, our belief already determines where we're going to spend eternity? Why is there, why is there necessary for a judgment to happen? Whenever you die, it is determined where you will go. If you are a follower of Christ, you'll go to, to be with God. If you are not, uh, then you're going to be lost and hell will be your fate. So what is judgment all about? There are no second chances. There are no plea bargains. There, it's done. You don't cross from one to the other. The Bible's clear about that. At our judgment, our belief is not judged. That's already been determined by our life. We've judged ourselves. We're dead. You know, it's, it's already done. But our behavior will be judged. And that's why it matters how you live. You know, I really think there are some Christians who believe that it doesn't matter how they live. They do whatever they want because they, they got this fallback plan on a decision they made years ago. And, and it doesn't have any life in it. And I don't want to judge anybody, but in reality is it matters how we live our lives now. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the reality is that it will change your behavior. It will change your behavior. Now, maybe you say, you know, I gave my life to Christ and it hasn't changed me at all. Then I would say there's something flawed in your relationship with Christ. There's something wrong there. Maybe you didn't really mean it. Maybe you didn't make that commitment for the long haul. It was just something you did in a moment. It's not real. I would, I would examine that if it were me. But whenever you've experienced the grace and love of God, you are motivated by his love, his forgiveness, 
and his grace, and your life will reflect it. James says that faith without works is dead or useless. So if there is no result of your, of your faith in your life, then it probably isn't an alive faith. The evidence of a changed life is when Christ comes in and transforms us. Not that you're good enough, that you're becoming better on your own, but instead that God will transform your life dramatically if you give him the space to do that. So these two judgments, though, are going to kind of reflect on the way we've lived our life and, in return, the way our, what our eternity will be like. Let's look, first of all, at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, remember, I said this primarily is for believers, or the Bible seems to imply it's only for believers. And we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, remember these epistles, all the epistles were written to Christians. They were not written to the world at large. They were written to tell us how to live our lives. So they're written to Christians. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Again, not to determine our destiny. That's not based on our good or bad things, on our belief, remember, but instead to determine how we're going to spend our eternity in heaven. Now, up front, let me just say that we're all going to be thrilled to be there. When we get to heaven, there's going to be rejoicing. And we just get in, just, just inside the gate. It's going to be incredible. And all the things that we talked about a few weeks ago, I believe, in, uh, imply we see Jesus. Uh, we see, uh, meet our Father. We, we experience the Holy Spirit's presence like we've never had before. We see loved ones who have gone on before. It's going to be awesome to be there just inside the gate. However, I think there's something better than that. I think God has called us to that. I think we're going to be examined on how we lived our lives. And once we get to heaven, what's it going to be like for us there? Will it be better for some than for others? The Bible seems to imply that it will be. And, it's, and, and it tells us that judgment will determine what that is all about. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I've got to tell you, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the entire Bible because for two reasons. Number one, it's such a vivid word picture. And number two, because I like to build things, all right? So this is why I really like this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now, I think back on the things that I have got a chance to build, and I know the number one most important thing of all is the foundation. It is where you start, because if your foundation is off, the whole building will be off. I mean, it really, you'll be, the entire time, you'll be trying to compensate for a mistake you made in the foundation. So most of the time, your foundation costs more than anything else and takes more time than any other part, any other single part of the building, because it is that important. The foundation is crucial. In our spiritual house, the most important thing is the foundation. And the only foundation that will last is Jesus Christ. That is the only foundation that's going to hold your spiritual house together and keep it intact. But you know what? The Bible also says that we might have this great foundation and we may not be building with the very best things or the, the best works. 
In fact, if you noticed in that list, it lists a few things that people build with. Gold, silver, costly stones, and those things are, are kind of referred to good works. Those are things that are valuable. Those are things that will last. Those are things that are eternal. You know, you, don't, you, you can uh, do anything to gold and it's still going to be there. You can reshape it and melt it, but it's still there, right? Costly stones, you know, they're strong uh, uh, and, and they're going to last. But then you understand, too, that there are some things that don't last. And, and it's possible as a believer to be building your spiritual house with things that will not last. And that's like wood, hay, and straw. You know, we all probably remember the story of the three little pigs, right, that build their house, you know, with straw and stuff. doesn't work very well. I would not advise you to build a straw house or a hay house because they don't last very long. Now, we put wood into our homes, but obviously our foundation is not going to be a wooden foundation. So you can be building your spiritual house with things that will not last because here's what's going to test your house. Paul says the day is going to come. Anybody know what that means? The day is judgment. That's what it is. When you read the word the day, it's talking about judgment day. And the day is going to test your spiritual house with fire. And whatever is left when the fire comes and tests your house, that's what you're going to be rewarded for, for the things that will endure the testing of the day. Now, for some people, I believe everything they have will be burnt down and destroyed. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a home that has been destroyed by fire and there's nothing left but the foundation. The foundation's still there, but it's, all the rest is gone. There will be people who at the end of the day, the judgment will have nothing but the foundation of Jesus Christ. And they will be saved, Paul says. They're going to get through it like the person who gets out of their house with only the clothes on their back. They got nothing. They smell like smoke, but they got out of the house. They got saved, Right? And then it says there are other people that are in Christ. We're going to have uh, something left. We're going to have eternal result of our life. Now, here's the other thing. The Bible says that also we can do good, but we can lose our reward for it because of the way that we did it. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do so, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the poor and the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now notice here that that Jesus is talking about that if you talk about your good deeds and brag about them and do them only for people to see, then you're not going to be rewarded. You're going to lose a reward. You've already got it here on earth, people bragging on you, people acknowledging how good you are. But if you do it quietly in secret, then he will reward you. And the other thing is that he will reward you personally. Not going to send an angel to say, oh, by the way, God said you ought to have this little uh, reward, but God's going to give it to us personally. That is amazing to think about our standing before God and being rewarded for the result of our life. Now, 1 John chapter 2 tells us that we must continue in him so that we can be competent, which is important, to be competent of our faith and our relationship with him. But also it says that we should continue in him so we will not be ashamed whenever we see him. Last week, Eric talked about being, being the potentially of being ashamed here on this earth, that the gospel is hard for us, but we want to be bold and stand before God and, and, and give a, a, a bold testimony of who Jesus is. But what we might be ashamed of when we stand before him? 
Can you imagine this person who has escaped to their home and they're, they're standing there, you know, maybe in their underwear because that's all they got out of the house. The house burned around them and they got out and they're ashamed because they got nothing to show for their life. And I think when we stand before God that we'll be ashamed that we wasted our potential, that we wasted our lives. You know, here we didn't give, we didn't serve, we didn't grow in him. God has invested so much into us personally, given us gifts and talents and opportunities. The Bible says we're given those things to see if we're faithful in the small things. And then if you remember what Jesus said, that if you're faithful in small things, we're going to be given additional things, more things. That's kind of the, the test of a faithful servant, what you do with what you have, and then you'll be given more. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I have to tell you, I have read that scripture and preached it and, you know, uh, memorized it, that scripture, for years and years, and there's one word I never even recognized there. That's really interesting. It is the word yourselves. Store up for yourselves. I always had this idea that what I gave to God, you know, that just kind of got put in the heavenly treasury, you know. But it's interesting, the word here, and I don't know exactly what to make of that, to be honest with you. Is it going to be returned to us in some way? Is that going to be given back? Uh, what we give here is being stored up for yourselves in heaven in some way. I don't know what that means. But it kind of gives me the idea that some people are going to be rich in heaven and some are going to be broke in heaven, and it will be a direct reflection about how we lived our lives down here. If we consumed everything we had here upon this earth, and we were rich here, whatever that means to you, it means everything that you have, consuming everything, then, then there's kind of the idea that we're not storing anything up for ourselves. So what does that mean? Whereas if we on earth have been our great stewards with what we have, if, if we give to God financially, if we give our, share our faith with people, if we use our talents and gifts and serve one another, those are all things that we give and we store up, then maybe those things will be returned to us in some way. I, I don't know what that means exactly, but I never understood in that context. Some rich in heaven, maybe some will be broke in heaven. But you'll be there, it's just that you won't enjoy the blessing, and there could be some shame in that you did not use what you had like you were commanded to do so. Now, does the Bible talk about rewards in heaven? That would probably need a whole other sermon, but I do want to say that I believe the Bible implies that those who serve and give and share their faith and sacrifice for those, their faith, especially martyrs, are going to be rewarded over those who do not. And the Bible tells us five crowns. I don't have time to even talk about this. If you want to jot them down, you can. The Bible talks about five crowns in heaven. The imperishable crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and the crown of life. God, the Bible says those crowns will be rewarded to people in heaven for various purposes. You can look them up, Google. Uh, you can easily find what those are all about. So here's the thing. Whenever we die or whenever Christ returns, as believers, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive our reward according to what we have done. You know, we believe as a church that our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And how we believe the reason we do that is that we love God and we love people, and we want to create disciples who make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? How do we define that? To me, it talks about our values, and it talks about some of these things we think are connected to laying up treasures. Giving, serving, sharing our faith, growing in our faith, and living in community with one another. 
If we are able to focus on those things, those five things that are kind of values of our church, we believe that kind of defines what a disciple ought to really be living and looking like. So that talks about the, the uh, judgment seat of Christ. Let's talk about the second judgment. The second judgment is the great white throne judgment. Now you might say, where in the world do, do they come up with the idea of that term, the great white throne judgment? Let me, let me tell you, Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 20, John says, then I saw a great white throne. So that's pretty much where that came from. Nobody created that. It, it, it's a judgment throne, and the Bible describes it being a great white throne. And it goes on to say, and him who was seated on it, so, so that is Christ seated upon it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone not, whose name was not found and written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now to me the most important thing that I, I get from that paragraph is that there is a book of life that contains the names of believers. And that's the book that you need your name in. It doesn't matter how many church rolls you've got your name written in. It doesn't matter how many papers or magazines you've been published in. There's only one book that matters, and that's the book of life that you need to be a part of. I mean, if you're not a part of that, the Bible says if your name's not written there, you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, how do you get into that book of life? We know it's not good works, it's not good, need, good deeds, it's the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ and commit yourself to him that your name is written in the book of life. When you really mean that and intend that and you live that, your name is written down. But what I also see that there are some other books that contain the names and the works or the deeds of people as well. And these seem to the, be, uh, be the unbelievers as well. That unbelievers are going to be judged. We talked about believers being judged. But unbelievers will be just according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So, so the question is, will an unbeliever who is really a pretty good person but never gives their life to Christ, will they receive the same punishment as a murderer or rapist? You know, we have this idea, don't we, about the worst person in hell. We probably would label him Hitler in many ways, but there's been plenty of other people who have done very similar things. And a lot of people believe that hell will be a small population because it'll only be people like that that are there. But you know, the Bible says that, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the, the way to destruction is broad and the gate's wide and a lot of people will go there. And the way to eternal life, the gate is narrow and the way is small that leads to, to life everlasting. And, and there'll be fewer who follow that path. So obviously there's going to be a lot of people in hell and not just the worst people you can think about. But are there degrees of punishment in hell and seemingly the Bible says yes, because it also talks about the, the idea of according to their works, according to their works. Now, let me just say this, like I said about heaven, that even the, the lowest, the entry level of hell will be horrible. And, and to me, that's the hell that the Bible de describes, the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and eternal suffering and, and everything we talked about a few weeks ago. That's entry level of hell, but there does seem to be levels of suffering and punishment because of works on this earth as well. Let me read a couple scriptures to you. 
I'm using a lot of Bible this morning because I don't want a lot of opinion to flavor this. I want you to know it comes from God's Word and not my opinion, all right? Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, we all know notoriously the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They were destroyed because of sexual sin and inhospitality, the Bible says. So we know that they were destroyed. Fire rained down from God, uh, from heaven, and destroyed these cities. But, but Jesus said it will be more bearable for Sodom, as evil as that is, more lenient is the word that's used there, than for these other cities. And these other cities are ones that we've heard of, Bethsaida and Capernaum. Though We know those are cities that Jesus went and preached to uh, later on in the New Testament times. Why would it be more destructive? Why would it be harsher on them than for Sodom, that wicked city? Because they saw Jesus, and they heard Jesus teach, but they directly rejected him. You know, I believe there will be more responsibility put upon people on this side of Jesus' life than on the world before than on the Old Testament days. They had the promise. They had the prediction. Today we have the history. We have the Word of God. There is no reason for someone not to be informed and aware and faithful in these days because we know all about what Jesus said. So hell's going to be worse seemingly for those cities than for the notoriously wicked cities that we read about in the Old Testament. Let me read another scripture, Romans chapter 2. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's judgment when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And that phrase, storing up wrath, is interesting, isn't it? What does that mean? It means that obviously because of their hard hearts, because of their stubbornness, unrepentance, and they're just piling sins up, piling it on. So the worth our sin is, the more punishment will come. Hebrews chapter 10 how much more, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? See, Paul talks there just about the stricter judgment that will come when someone knows and has a full understanding of what God has done for us and yet rejects Christ. So there's going to be stricter judgment for some unbelievers who know and who have seen but who do not believe. Now let me ask you this, will there be stricter judgment for some believers? I think there will be. And I say this humbly because I think that I will be held to a higher level of responsibility. In James chapter 3, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Someone who stands up and teaches, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it's in a class, whether it's in a group, whatever it might be, there's a stricter judgment because you have to remain true to God's Word. And, and I really believe in my heart that there will be preachers and teachers who are compromising God's Word that will give an account for that. That must be faithful to what we've been given and what we've been taught. Let me go a step further and say this. I believe that because you've been here today, that now you are responsible for what you know. And some of you are going, I should have stayed in bed this morning. 
because I don't think I wanted to know this stuff, you know. And now I know I'm responsible for doing something about it. You know, that, that may be the bad news. Now you know. But here's, here's the good news. Let me give you some good news quickly here. You were already responsible for it. You just didn't know about it. There's not going to be pleading ignorance one day. We all are responsible. We all have to give an account to God. The good news is that now you know. Now you know and you have the chance to do something about that. You know what the cure really is. Let me get compared to this. Let's say you go to the doctor and, and you go in for some little routine thing. And I hear about this all the time. People go in and, and they got something minor. And the doctor does a scan or something and he comes back and he's very serious. And he says, I got, I got some bad news for you. you. You've got a serious problem. And if you had not come in for some other unrelated subject, we would never have found this. You ever, you've probably heard about that happening, haven't you? And the doctor says to you, what you've got will kill you. It's serious. But the great news is, is that we found it, and we can cure it. And, you, you know, you're on a roller coaster, and you're like, I was good, and then I'm down here, and now I'm here, and, you know, where am I at? And everything is, but the doctor says it's going to be okay because I've got the cure. Now, if you went through that, would you go, well, I don't know if I want the cure or not. I didn't. I was better off not knowing. Nobody does that. They go, what, what do I need to do? You know, I would, I would accept the cure if it were me. I, I would immediately say, yeah, I want to I be healed, even though I didn't know about it. It was still going to affect me dramatically. The same thing is true with us. And the Bible says that one day we're going to stand before God in judgment. But the question is, are we going to be terrified because we didn't know the judge? And we, we will come to a realization at that moment that we deserve the worst punishment, but, but standing there and not knowing it would be a horrible thing. And what would be even worse would be knowing it and never done anything about it. But the Bible says when we stand before God in judgment, we can be at peace and confidence and remember unashamed because we have lived our lives not only in Christ, but fully serving Him and obeying Him. And we're going to be at peace because we know the judge well and we know that we will be saved. That is why it really, really matters how you live. So we're going to wrap up this morning and, and I'm going to ask you to, to close your eyes. We do this a lot because it's a way for us to kind of folk, uh, shut down everything else going on around us. And uh, I'm going to plead with you today. You know, I, I don't think that we don't beg people or anything, but I want to plead with you wherever you may be today to make sure that you are right with Christ. This whole study has just reminded me of the incredible reality of the end of time. And that's going to happen one of two ways, either by our personal death or by the return of Christ. And either one could happen at any moment in our lives. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that all of us are invited to come to him for salvation through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. It's the cure that's given to us. And Jesus Christ died in order for that to be a, an offer for us. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess him with your mouth, that you'll be saved. So this morning, we want to give you a chance to do that. Next Sunday, we'll have a decision time and some baptisms, but today is the day of salvation. Next Sunday is a week away, and a lot happens in a week. And so if you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm going to be right down here in the front. We're going to have a time of communion, and I would love to take that time to, to help guide you in your relationship with Him. Following that, we'll have a song of, of worship, and, and I'll be down here for you. If you want to speak to someone, 
There's a card, again, the connection card. Just check that and say, I want to talk to a minister. This is the most important thing, and that's why I plead with you. If you have not given your life to Christ to do that today, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and for Jesus. God, thank you for judgment. We all need accountability. We need to know that one day we got to give an answer. We know it's coming. Your word says it's true. And, and God, maybe there are some here this morning who have no plans at all for that and would have no words. But because of Christ, can stand before you unashamed and with confidence knowing that we are safe and we will escape because our life is built on the foundation of Jesus. Lord, I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to move into a time now where we remember what Jesus has done for us. So I encourage you, as the trays are passed down the aisles, that you take a few minutes and take stock of where